This is Dead Stick Radio, episode 19, recorded Monday, November 24th, 2020. The engine fell off. All right, so um, it's uh, Scott and Brian here. We just finished a conversation with uh, Chuck Wentworth. Chuck was a uh, Formula One pilot among uh, Corsair pilot, uh, World War One fighter pilot. Well, not actually fighters, but he flies restored ones now. Um, aerobatic pilot. Uh, used to fly daily with Art Scholl, uh, working on their air show routines. Um, an all-around kind of leader in sport aviation. Yeah. Um, we, we knew Chuck from... Um, there are a couple photos that are floating around the internet. Every six months or so, somebody mentions uh, Chuck Wentworth's name uh, in the Reno air racing circles because of an accident that occurred in 1981 at the Reno Air Races. He was passing Pylon 5 in one of the corners, and a propeller blade came off. When the blade came off, it threw the engine out of the airplane and hung it from the safety cable in between the landing gear, facing backwards. Chuck then um, uh, uh, pointed the airplane towards the runway and set it down full stop in like 2,500 feet. <laughs> We'll let him. We'll let him tell the story in the episode. Uh, he he tells the story in uh, in detail about how it all happened and uh, what caused it. And uh, he's he's a, certainly an interesting guy. He's been building and restoring airplanes for the past uh, few dozen years here. Uh, he's uh, restored. Well, he even talks about the Sopwith Camel that he restored as well. It's a uh, very interesting. Uh, he's he's basically been living the aviation life that we all wish we could live. Yeah, and and a lot of this, um, I I didn't know about it at all, or what he's been doing since. Um, all I knew was his name from the accident. It turns out he's he's good buddies with Mike Melville, uh, was good buddies with Art Scholl, knows all the unlimited racers. He's very well connected in social circles as well. He's even flown uh, Dreadnought, which was uh, the the champion there in the, in the past few years. Yeah, in the unlimited class at Reno. So he uh, that was quite a story. We kind of stumbled upon him. I, I didn't know what he'd been up to or what his accomplishments were other than the accident at Reno in 81. Yeah, he's uh, it's an incredible story. And uh, you can listen to the, the podcast here. And uh, we did lose a couple minutes off the beginning of the podcast, so we kind of jump right into it. But uh, uh, here it is. And, and the engine is it's pretty simple. You know, you, you take the Continental book and you just build it to match. Yeah. You know, so. And I didn't have a very long prop extension on it. I think. Uh, like three inches? Uh, no, probably a five. Yeah. Something like that. But but I, I changed the airplane a lot throughout its history. I, I went to updraft cooling. Mm-hmm. You know, which would keep the intake manifold and all that area cold. Yeah. For the, you know, where that is, and my oil pan was integral to the uh, bottom of the engine cowl. That was the oil pan. Right. You know, and, and it had, you know, the, the the pickup tube went down into it. When you pull the engine, it, it came off the oil pan, or yeah. you dropped the oil pan. I think I've seen that. I, a couple of the buddies' airplanes had that. Yeah, and it uh, and I had uh, I I think I ran like seven or eight quarts of oil, right? And, you know, because I didn't know how it was going to cool, and I put like six three quarter inch aluminum tubes through the oil pan. 
you know, that, that picked up air right yeah. where the carburetor picked up air in that, that chamber in front of the carburetor. Yeah, and did that system work out well? Never, never got even very high at all. I mean, it was great. Huh. And, uh, you know, no problem. Hot days didn't mean anything. You know, but I wasn't going to go back and change it and get rid of some of the cooling and do all that. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. You probably just ran an adapter off the bottom of the case tube to the, the what? to the oil pan. Yeah, I had a had a like it, I think it's a 4-inch rubber tube. Yeah. About all 4 inches long, something like that. Oh man, what a good idea. What else did you do to it to go so fast? Well, that, we don't see that much anymore. So the the the, the little scoop for the carburetor? Yeah. It was it was plenty big because it fed not only the carburetor, that whole chamber in there. The, the carburetor didn't go, didn't pick up its air from outside fresh air. It picked up from a chamber in front of the carburetor. Right. You know, so it's it had had a oh, I don't know what the term is a, a chamber, a pendulum chamber there for the air to get settled down. Yeah, yeah, right. I've got that on my new racer also, right now. I haven't tried it yet, but dragsters do it. Yeah, so some of that air, you know, went through the oil tank as cooling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because we didn't know how well it was going to cool. Yeah. And uh, and I ran, uh, I remember one year, I think it might have been either the year I ran, I won or the year before, uh, Don Sanford uh, Aero Mag was, a, was the airplane. Yeah, that was a John Sharp airplane at one point, wasn't it? Who's? John Sharp. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't talked to him in a couple of years now. Uh-huh. But, but the uh, you know this is back when it was an Aeromag airplane, you know, not the plastic ones. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and and so I had the throwaway slick mags on it. Yeah, I mean you know couldn't afford to go buy new mags, so I ended up with some of them, and and I had mag problems, and I had it had one apart. Don Sanford walked over because I, I know him. What are you doing? I said, I'm overhauling the mag. He says he'd never seen one apart. He just throws them away. You know, they're throwaway slick mags. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I went through the overhaul, figured out how, what made it work, put it back together, and went out and beat him. You know, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool. I've had mags open once or twice, and it's like black magic to me. Oh, yeah, they are. I mean, here I am, a slick mag that nobody had ever had apart. Yeah. But you know they're all all pretty much the same. You know you you get them you you, you look at them pretty soon you understand how it works. Yeah. But uh, let's see that that's about the big difference in that that airplane. I ended up with a a, a a fiberglass tail group on it also. Yeah. And who built that? Did you? I did. I built everything. Oh yeah. And did you design it all too? Uh, yeah. Well, it's you know I talked to some of my engineer guys at Northrop and it. North American, and yeah. you know, we we I think we ended up with like a, it may have had an eight percent thickness ratio in order to maintain some thickness in the spar. Yeah, that kind of thing. Oh yeah, okay. And uh, you know, but it was it was all you know. Uh, I think it had wood spars. I yep. put wood spars in it. It was easy to understand the wood. <laughs> yeah, we um. That that's funny. What you're talking about right now is about as far as we ever got, or, or is about as far as most racers are today, uh, in terms of uh, innovation and design. We're we're not much past what you just said. Probably no, twenty no. years later. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. 
Uh, how many years later? 83 is when I won. Oh, man, that's 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> and what you've got is pretty much the same as we're racing today. Yeah, uh, it, with the metal prop was a holdup for me. Yeah. And, but, yeah, still I ran 240, you know. Yeah. I, that... I ran 239-something qualifying, first qualifier, and 239-something for the entire race. So I just went out and flew that, that course, and that's what it ran. Yeah, so you were running... So I, I don't know much about metal props because that was way before my time. But what yeah. I understand is you take like a Cessna uh, metal propeller and you'd cut the yeah. tips off and repitch it as necessary. Is that right? Yeah, uh, well, but uh, that, see, after one of my blades broke off in yeah. 81, I, uh, you know, nobody knows that I won in 83, but everybody knows I crashed, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah. anyway, I found out when that prop broke, it broke on the, you know, it's a wing is what it is, you know, an airfoil. Yeah. It broke on the upper surface at about the high point of the cord, about probably 40% back. Yeah. It's where, the, where the failure started, which I would have never guessed it would start there. Wait, it started on, sorry, the top surface of the wing? Yeah, yeah. if, if you look prop? at the prop as a wing. Yeah. Failure started. I got the prop here today. We were looking at it, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago we moved it. Oh, yeah? Uh, it started about, oh, 40% back from, you know, 35, 40% back from the leading edge. Yeah. It's where the failure started on top. And then it moved from the top of the, the wing surface to the bottom on the propeller. Yeah, you can see that little little half circles, you know, it just kept getting bigger. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so back then, you, when you guys were running these props, I think some of them had come apart already at that point. Were you um, uh, um, um, dye penetrant testing them or anything for cracks beforehand? I heard a little bit about that. Well, it, you know, my prop came from the prop shop, and that's when I learned that how they repitched it. Oh, they yeah. They molded it, and they got, a, they got this big giant guy back there with a great big old yeah. wrench, and he, he slides it on and bends the metal. <laughs> You know, it's not heat treated. It's not annealed. It's not nothing. It's just bent. Yeah. Okay. So that's not a good deal. <laughs> and then I think I think what they do when they overhaul aluminum propellers is they grind off the skin on the outside as well, which is the fatigued area. Right. Yeah. Uh huh. The right. uh, another thing I did on my airplane that was pretty much contrary to everyone at at the races that year. I was running four inches longer propeller than anybody else. Oh, yeah. And probably and, the loudest. Uh, yeah, but, you know, uh, you know, my, everybody, oh, no, your prop's going mock, you know, it's not going to work. Well, you know, that, that, this is after I broke one. I, the new one I, I put on was a, was a long one. Yeah. You know, my theory was is that tip of your prop going 9 point five wherever what it is it ain't doing a whole lot anyway yeah so i went ahead and made the prop longer and all of you know ray cody and everybody else you know they were they were all down on me no you can't do that it's not right you know you won't get anything out of it well i was first off the line and won the race you know <laughs> oh good to know yeah and uh and, and you know since then if you think about it uh, the russian uh bear that big giant yeah. propeller plane they got yeah that those prop tips run mock all the time well that thing's loud too yeah 
that's why it's loud because it's running mock. Yeah. And that's a pretty good performing airplane. Oh yeah. Well, this is good to know because right now I'm running like a 54 inch prop. I can't remember what. Anyway, I was running about one point, you know, one point one, one point oh six, something like that on prop tips at at forty one fifty RPM. Yeah. And was that kind of the sweet spot RPM wise on your motor? It was about forty one fifty. Uh, that would be going into the turn. I'd be getting into that neighborhood. Yeah, and then coming out, you're probably 39 or 38. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I was just going to say, so you, you'd run 4,000 on an aluminum prop with the tips cut off from a propeller repurposed from Cessna's. Is that right? Correct, yeah. Right. And that was before, well, and was nobody running wood? You know, they're all you know, continental propellers. Yeah. You know, 150 props or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Was nobody running wood at the time at all because of structural reasons? But, but I ran about four inches longer than, than everybody else at the airport. Oh, yeah. Um, so as, as you were saying, you were running metal propellers. Was anybody running wood at the time or, or composite? You know, a, a couple people, I think, right at the end but that last year, I think a couple may have had, because uh, I sold the airplane, and I think next year a couple people, you know, were trying it, but, you know, they, they hadn't quite figured out airfoils yet and that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, okay. Um, so let, let, let's get into your accident here um, when the propeller yeah. came off. So this was in 81, you said. You, uh -huh. were, you were flying Flexi Flyer, which was, a, yeah, well, I, I believe, a cassette fuselage with your composite wing and tail, aluminum right, skinned. Uh -huh. Yeah. And you're, you're coming around, what, pylon six? Uh, let's see, three, uh, five, maybe five or six down there. Let's see. Uh, you know, I think it happened on the extreme west west end. Would, would that be six? Yeah, it'd be five. Well, four, five, six is the turn, the far west turn. Okay. I, it, it, I, I, th I think... I think it happened at five. You know, got that a long time ago. Yeah. And five, five or six. You know, and it and it barely made the home pylon. You know. <laughs> yeah. So what what happened was you were flying at forty one fifty RPM. No, no, that's a, see that was the problem. They were short some airplanes for the like the silver race. Yeah. And and I thought, well, you know what? I'll just go out there and chug around with them. And I would I would probably run in thirty eight hundred RPM. Yeah, you know, I wasn't the prop wasn't pulling hard. It was it was kind of floating. Oh yeah, you know, I, I think if I'd have had full power on it for the whole race, the, the prop would have stayed in in a loaded position. Right. And oh. you know, I mean, I was running fourth or fifth. I didn't want to run up in the front, you know, and take take it away from those guys. Yeah. And and you know, the, and the prop the one blade broke down there, and and of course it, you know, when when the the motor went. It happened to go down it you know wiped out the oil you know pickups and all that stuff and put oil on everything and and uh i didn't have an airspeed indicator so i didn't know how fast i was going oh wait so you the first indication of this lots to talk about here the first indication yeah. of a problem was a very violent shaking is that right no there was no shaking oh it all that occurred in one turn of the propeller and then it was over. And it was over. So you were, you had um, so at that point you the that it got very quiet very quickly. 
One yeah, turn yeah, propeller and, and through the motor on at the, the windshield. Bottom. Oh, an <laughs> and, oil you know, I'm used over. to not being able to see forward all the airplanes I fly, so that was no big deal. Yeah. So what happened with the airspeed indicator? Why did you not have an airspeed indicator? Uh, because I took it out of the leading edge of the wing and taped it over so it wouldn't mess up the airfoil. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Extra efficiency. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, so yeah, you're on pilot. Instead of coming back down, you know, back 30% down and come down and go forward with it. Yeah. You know, we had it right in the leading edge. Right, yeah. But uh, but anyway, you know, there was no big deal not having an airspeed indicator. You know, as long as the nose is pointed down. Yeah, you know, right. And the know, stalls and are so um, gentle in those airplanes. The what? The stalling is so gentle if you get slow. Uh, well, that's uh, not necessarily plane because it's uh, you know I didn't do much of stall in a test. I, you know, I let it break a couple times, and that's about all I did <laughs> because there wasn't hardly room for me and a parachute in the airplane. Yeah. You know. And, uh, but, but anyway, when it, when the engine failed, it was this one bang, you know, I had no idea. I thought it knocked, blew the side of the motor off, Yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, put it on the runway and I didn't, and I was sinking really hard when it hit. And, and the, the biggest problem was that when it hit the ground, hit the runway, the first thing to touch was the point of the spinner. You know, because when you look at the pictures, it's hanging almost straight down. The engine is. Yeah, it's on. It's in between the gear. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was a pretty sudden stop, but it was hanging down. So the aerodynamics pushed, pushed the motor back, which made up for the loss of forward weight. Right. It it, it, it was not uh, out of rigged airplane. Gotcha. So did, you did, know, did I, it, I, it flew fine with the motor under there? Like no different. Yeah, because the the wind was pushing it back. Oh yeah. Which which made up for the loss of weight out there. <laughs> so yeah, that, I mean, it, it, I mean, I didn't know the motor was hanging was missing. <laughs> and it flew. That's fun. probably why it came. That's probably why it came out so good. So you knew the power quit, and you knew you had uh, runway eight twenty six underneath you. Yeah. Huh. And all you did is you pointed it for the runway. Yep. Point it down at the runway because, you know, if you get down close to the runway, then no matter what happens, it's not going to be too bad. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So you put it on the runway probably around home pylon? I came to a stop in front of the home pylon. Oh, that's short. That's like half a mile. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, there's a lot of drag. <laughs> to go but, from you know, 240 I was to zero? only running, uh, you know, 100 and, I mean, uh, you know, 190, 200 mile an hour when it broke. Oh you know, right, yeah, right. Because you're you're uh, flying you're, slow. That's right. Right with the other guys, yeah. Yeah. So so when you touch down, the spinner touched first. Yeah. When you look at the picture, that was the first thing, you know. Yeah. And and of course there was no no compression of the gear. The gear couldn't flex because the motor was there. Yeah. And so yeah, did, and was so it a hard that, hit that, when you when you touched down? It was damn hard. I bet it hurt. Uh, ruptured diaphragm right side. You know, my chest. Ouch. That's a hard and, uh, hit. Yeah. And the uh, back was okay, though. And everything was fine, you know. My canopy releases worked great. Then I threw the canopy off and broke it, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so what what held the engine on? Uh, did, did you actually have a strap-on like modern uh, airplanes do, where they hold the engine on with a, a, metal, a cable? metal cable? I had 316th cable, you know. Okay. Oh, and it was hanging off the cable. Yeah, it was hanging on the cable. Yeah, but you know, because and the engine mount, ironically, failed halfway between the fuselage and the engine. It was a bolt-up engine mount. Not at a weld. 
It did not fail at any of the wells. It popped all those tubes right in two. Wow. Jeez. Because it happened in like one rotation to the engine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and, and and that was kind of amazing. Everybody, you know, made comments about that. You know, looking at it like that. Well, that's because everybody figured it would have ripped some wells loose or whatever. Yeah. So so you slid to a stop, jumped out. Off. No, I didn't get out. You sat in it. You're hurting. Uh, well, I, you know, well, I sat there. You know, surveyed the situation, made sure. You know, okay, what am I going to do? You know, I, I go through this all the time during aerobatics. You know. Come to stop. Make sure you got things right. Make sure you physically grab the canopy releases. You know, and uh, I could feel something on my liquid on my foot. Yeah. You know, it was gas was dripping, and uh, opened that. And uh, ironically, one of the first persons there was Art Scholl. You know, because we we flew together all the time. Yeah. And uh, you know, and you know, we you know before I went to get out, you know, I feel all right. Just, you know, I feel okay. I, I don't feel any pain in my back. You know, so I, you know, they got on each side and they helped me out of the airplane and walked me over to the ambulance. Yeah, and you you were you were probably pretty sore and banged up pretty good at that point. Well, you know, not not for not till the next day, you know. Yeah. You know, you, you don't feel anything for a while. So they, they took you to the hospital. No. No, because you know there was there was no blood, no broken bones. Yeah. So how'd you find out you had a ruptured diaphragm? Well, the, the pain wouldn't go away. You know, <laughs> so I uh, I think I went to the local doctor or something. They did something and figured that's what was wrong. Oh, yeah. You know, I had a friend that, that flew with us at our show. She was a, a, a an MD. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, Who was that? Oh, I can't remember her name now. But, yeah. But she was an Air Force person, Air Force uh, surgeon. Right. And they wanted to go cut on me just just to find out what was wrong, you know. Yeah. They, they didn't do that. I wasn't gonna let them do that. Right. Because they told me there wasn't much they could do about it anyway. But maybe throw a couple stitches in it. But but it didn't rupture to the point where it, where anything moved. Right. Sounds like you got lucky. Oh yeah, real lucky. Right. So you, you, did but, you, you stay know, at the, the races for the rest of the week? Yeah. Well, that was Saturday. You know. Yeah. So what do you, what yeah, did you do with, with the wreckage and everything? Did the FAA look at it or anything, or you just take it home? No, they don't care. They don't care. And uh, you know, the, we, you know, put the put the wing on the trailer and yeah, you know, free slip fuselage and wing on the trailer, and I drove 400 miles home. Right. So, um, what did you do afterwards? Did you fix the airplane? Did you keep racing, or what happened? Oh yeah, that's the same wing. It had a little bit of tip damage. Yeah. You know, you know when when you don't know about what you're doing, you overbuild it. Right. You know, because nobody would talk to me. I, I have a, a very good friend that I fly with quite a bit, Mike Melville. You know, Spaceship One driver. Yeah. And uh, he well, he used to come over for lunch all the time and fly our old antiques and stuff. Oh yeah. But uh, I was talking to him. I said, you know, when I built that wing. You know, I jumped my plane and buzzed over there to Mojave and talked to those guys, and, and man, they about threw me out. They didn't want to say one thing to me. You know, no information. Uh-uh. You know, nobody wanted to talk about it. And I had a friend that built some very easies, and I knew how they built them. So that's how I built my wing. Right. Well, and Mike was part of that whole crew, too, wasn't he? Oh, it, 
at, at Mojave? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Him and his wife were the... the uh, Probably the, the chief two, pilots at that point. Two, well, he he, t- he flew everything that, that came out of that, that shop. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Yeah. So what what happened to that airplane? Uh, you you fixed it up. Uh, you raced it again, eighty two. Oh yeah, eighty two, eighty three, eighty three is when I won. Yeah. The the uh, we couldn't find anything wrong with the fuselage. I mean, we we tore it completely down, took all the skin off of it. Uh, wingtip uh, didn't need a whole lot, you know, to to get it glued back together. And yep. uh, let's see, that that was about it, you know, and you know. Put put my spare engine on it, and then that's that's when I got the long prop. I think '82 we had a weather problem; it was snowing and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then '83, you know, I I said, you know, I, I became the bad guy. I showed up. I says, "I'm here to win. This is my spot in the hangar." Period. End of story. We're not talking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you got the you, know, you got the spot right by the door. No, no, in the back corner. When you walk back then, when you walked in, it was way in the back. Oh yeah, on the right. It's all dusty back there now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, no, no. This is the hangers up by the uh, behind where the grandstands are. Oh yeah, oh, they moved them. Okay. And not down on the west end. Okay, you're in the littler yeah. hangar, smaller hangar. Oh yeah, we're moving way up there. Yeah. But but anyway, we. Uh, what else did I do to the airplane? Oh, there was a couple other things I do. I had a six-inch diameter tail wheel. Oh yeah, like a roller skate wheel. Well, it, it was a, it was kind of an aluminum wheel with a rubber, hard rubber, you know, half-inch hard rubber on it. But it was six inches in diameter. Yeah. And one inch of it stuck out the bottom of the airplane. Yeah, that's how most of the fast people do it now. Yeah. Yeah, with with no shock absorption at all. Nothing, uh uh-uh. And uh well, you know, it's it's we can do pretty decent landings. Yeah. And uh and then and then you know, they were doing everything to find me something illegal. Another thing I I had done, uh the Cleveland wheels yeah. that we run. The five hundred fives. Yeah. Well, I chucked them up on a lathe and I turned them down to the point the beads of the tire were touching. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to turn them down, turn them down. <laughs> you know, I had to cut notches in the bead for the valve stem to stick through. <laughs> I mean, the, the wheel was only like three inches wide. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and you know, so, and then I, I got a set of 505s. I, I roamed all around the airport and got two 505s that were pretty much wore out, four plies. You know, all these guys with... With their airplanes, they don't keep air in the tires, so they rub all the tread off of them except right in the middle. Yeah. So I got a couple of them, put 50 pounds of air in them. You know, I had a footprint of about one square inch. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, weren't uh, Bruce Bohannon and those guys, weren't they running diesel instead of uh, uh, bearing grease or something? You mean in the, in the engine? Yeah, or no, in the, in the wheel bearings. Instead of packing them with proper aeroshell grease, weren't they using uh, a, a, like a lightweight WD-40 or something? I've been known to use Vaseline, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they put in motor oil in there, didn't they? 
Uh, I'm not so sure what they did. I, I had like Vaseline, which is like a, a no weight, you know, grease. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it? how much work do they get? You know. Well, exactly. The the whole weekend they they don't get a half a mile on them. I know. You get probably uh, seven eight landings. Yeah. Uh huh. Which is all you need. Right. Yeah. Did you did you make your own wheel pants and stuff as well? Uh, I think I took a set of wheel pants and I may have lengthened them. Yeah. You know some glass ones and I I know I I, I think I narrowed them. That's probably what I did. I narrowed them a little bit. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Just to tighten them up on the wheels more. On the, oh yeah, they they were pretty pretty close on the wheel and they were really tight on the bottom. Yeah. You know, on the tire itself. And you know when you're running fifty plus pounds of air, the tire doesn't distort. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it stays very round. So you can you can get it really close, and I and the wheel pant was like oh half inch off the ground. Yeah. You know, there wasn't much tire sticking out of the bottom. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so what? Um, so that next year, eighty two, you came back with a vengeance with a really fast airplane. What did you do well, for we had propeller? Bad in eighty two or something. I mean, I ran good. You know, got money, but yeah. What did you do for propeller after that? Was there a was there a class? Um, uh, no, no, that was that long one. That was the long one. Oh, were and you 80, still running 82. metal at that time? Do what? Were you still running metal propellers at that time? Oh when, yeah. When yeah. was the switch yeah, to composites? I, I, I won with a with a metal prop. Was Steve Hill involved then, or when did Steve Hill become involved with John Chart making propellers? Mm, must have been after that. Oh, that, was that after your time? Because in 83, I won. Right, yeah. So, um, okay, so anyway, so uh, 82, you're still running metal props. Um, yeah. You, you, you knew it cracked. Did they ever look into why the previous blade came off? Or did you look into that at all, just to make sure it wouldn't happen again? No, because, uh, you know, when I figured out, when I found out that they just got some big guy back there with a big giant bar that bends them, I figured that that's why it broke. <laughs> um, wh- what else? Uh, tell tell us some more. Like, what are the lessons? Are there any performance lessons that worked really well that you'd like to share with the racers today, or any safety lessons that you think they should know? Well, warnings. It, it, I, I think you know, this, this safety lessons are a big thing. I was, uh, you know, I, I I was fortunate. You know, I, I showed up to go racing with a low level aerobatic waiver in any airplane. Right, you know, anyone I was, you know, uh, checked out in, you know, because I've been doing low-level air shows and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and and, and there's people there that would show up, pull the airplane out of the box, put it together, get it signed off, and go racing once a year. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, they don't enforce the rules really good because. Uh, I complained about the, I think it was, was it the biplane race? The the, the plastic airplane? Amsoil oh, Phantom. Special. Yeah. The the fire air traffic controller guy? Yeah. You know, anyway, he, uh, and if the airplane had like three, four Gs on it, he couldn't move the ailerons. They bound, they bound up. <laughs> I complained about it and I was told, well, you know, he's got a big, big time sponsor and, you know that kind of thing. You know, and it's great for the for the whole organization. You know that kind of deal. Yeah. 
Well, so we took off to the west. No, he took off to the west. I was watching because he was a biplane race. And uh, I was watching, and we took off. And used to go down and make a left turn around the scatter pylon way out there. Right. Well, you know, he he banked it over, you know, 60 or so degrees, pulled back on it, loaded the wings, and uh, tapped the left wing tip on the ground, spun it 180, and backed himself right into the weeds. <laughs> Man. Because he he had no, you know, and, and they were talking about it. He got somebody else to go up and fly it to qualify it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, you know. But it was a big deal because it was a major sponsor, you know. So. But that, yeah. But what you're saying though is, major sponsors are not an excuse for an, an airplane yeah. that cannot fly safely. No. But yeah, they, uh, you know, I, I, I had a a lead on a lot of guys because I was used to low level aerobatics, you know, unusual attitudes, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, something I did all the time. You know, and it's you know I was very current in that kind of flying. You know, low level, high G's. You know, and these other guys, it's you know some of them are, but there's a few out there that that fly once a year. Yeah, yeah, I, we we see that today too, where lots of people show up with almost no time in their racers, and very little time in 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 aerobatic airplanes down low. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, and 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 you know, the, uh, I had a friend. I, I bought the old Art Show special. Yep. Bought it in an auction, put it together, and uh, my friend was going to fly it, and he got all scared. You know, he, he flew our decathlon. We owned a decathlon together. Yeah. But but when it got down there to Pylon Heights, he come back and he says, "This is not for me." <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, he was great in the airplane. You know, he could go up and do rolls and all that other kind of stuff in it. But when he got down low, he didn't like it. You know, so I give him plenty of credit for that. You know. That's that's absolutely the right decision in that case. Yeah. Yeah. What else have you learned over the years that you'd like to pass on? So we talked a little bit about uh, experience and getting uh, comfortable down low with lots of time in your racing airplane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, you're not going to get a lot of time in your racing airplane. Yeah. You, you know, I, you know, all those years, you know, twenty something years, I had the Corsair, and I never raced it up there. Yeah. It wasn't that kind of airplane, you know, and. uh you know, even though I, you know, I've got time and dreadnought and you know Mustangs and everything else. Yeah. But uh, you know, it, it's uh, all my my low low level time back then was aerobatics. Right. You know, in, in my Stevens Acro or Pit Specials, you know that kind of thing. Yep. You know, I, I was I was reasonably comfortable. You know, at fifty feet. You know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 that that's that's a big plus. I mean, I I think people need to have currency before they show up to the races. Yeah, yeah, we see. I that mean, too. if it's nothing else, and then somebody's got a, some instructor or somebody's got to sign them off that says, "Yeah, you've been flying your airplane. You 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 went out there and you you went around the course, or you you know you show up a week early, you know, and and, and go. You know, they have practice up there, right? You know, and go make a couple laps." Right, yeah. What um, what else have you seen um, from your experience racing that's that's caused other people um, dangers or, or difficulties? Currency is probably the biggest thing. Yeah. You know, because they're not used to flying around with other people, you know, that type of thing. Yep. And and, and, and that's, 
you know, that, that, that gets them spooking. And of course they always, you know, climb in the turns, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and that's a recurring problem. I think we see that today as well. Sure. Yeah. And I don't think that'll ever, that might not ever change. No, the only way it's going to change is if you start requiring these people to, to be really current. And and when you got one race a year, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Did you find any technical issues or decisions that you you kept seeing back then that you'd like to pass on related to the airframes? Uh, no, not really. I, I thought the rules were were pretty simple. You know, your vision's got to be you know. What is it? Six degrees over the nose, or something yep. like that, from your eyes, or what it is, yep. which is fine. You know that that's adequate. That's what mine was. Mm-hmm. And uh, general airworthiness after that. I, I, I think everything. You know, as far as safety on the on the airplanes, you know, they're they're not big enough to be wearing a parachute. You're not down. You're not high enough to use it most of the time, anyway. Yep. You know, so I don't think the parachute's really required. I, I didn't wear one. Yep. So. All right. Uh, let's see. Well, you know, and, of course, you know, I, I built that airplane with a lot of good help, too, you know, as far as engineering people. Yep. Yeah, you asked the right questions. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, the, the guys that, you know, you know they they worked on the space shuttle program and all that kind of stuff down there at Northrop and North American. Yeah. And uh, anyway, they, they helped me a lot. You know, I, I had a lot of help, you know, throughout the whole whole operation. Yeah, and, and, and you learned, you had good um, flight training as well, I guess, or, or mentors that could that could help you with that kind of thing. Uh, right, yeah. Knowing and, people you know, like our, our, our yeah, I was there every day, you know, with him, you know, we'd take turns, you know, you know, watching each other fly our, our air show routines, you know, critiquing all that, you know, so. Yeah. That, you know, and I'd take his airplane up and fly his routine so he could watch it and see what it looked like, you know. Yeah, yeah, his his air show routine you're talking. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. And and that's probably the best kind of person to have around to, to learn to get comfortable down low and so on. And to get oh, oh, good yeah. hands and feet for sport aviation type flying. Right. And, and, and you know, another thing that, that, you know, of course it was it was over with before I knew it, you know, when the, the accident. But uh, I guess I had been, you know, worked on so hard to fly the plane. Yeah. Because, you know, when that thing failed, evidently I flew the plane. <laughs> right. And that, that, know, so. that is what led to a good outcome. I think exactly right, and and yeah, it, it just happened, you know. And so you know, I, I didn't freak out and throw my hands in the air and cover my eyes or whatever, you know. Yeah. Or start screaming and hollering. No. Yeah, you got busy and you 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 found an option and you took it. That flew and flew the plane, which which is a real important thing, and and so, so many people drive, you know, and not fly. Yeah. And you know, I was fortunate. I flew all the time, a lot of different airplanes. I wasn't programmed in anything. Yeah. Yeah, so you had a good you had a good skill set to to rely on to get you out of that situation. Right, but you know, and there again, it's currency. You know, the stuff I'd been flying. Yeah, we we um we see a lot of people today that show up that are can fly their their Cassid or whatever, but mm-hmm. only have maybe a couple hundred hours, and virtually none of that's aerobatics or high performance flying. Yeah. And, and they can they can get around the course okay, but if anything happened, they have they have no skills to rely on. 
or experience. That's yeah, they're, they're not that current in in those kind of little things, you know, little planes, yeah. 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 Or or in emergency stuff, you know, I I'm you know, I I started early on and you know, for you know, I told gliders got you know, I have a glider rating and a helicopter rating and all that stuff and big airplanes. Yeah. I say big airplanes, you know, we we got a Ford Trimotor here I fly, and the Corsair, I got 300 hours in it, 300 hours in my Avenger. And... Yeah. Where, um, what are you doing now? Are you are you building airplanes now for a living, or what? Uh... Uh, well, I'm, 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 I wish it was for a living. I'm, using, I'm building my airplane, and there's no other work, you know, things have gone to hell. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. Uh, but here, in the last uh, few years, I've... Uh, I finished two airplanes and I've got them in the Smithsonian. I've I've restored two aircraft yep. there, a, a 1911 Blario that was built in Denver, Colorado, yep. with the entire paperwork. I mean, there's no question. <laughs> and and the Sop with Camel are restored. It's the same way. We have every bit of paperwork on it that's, that you could want. And yep. you know they're both back in the Smithsonian now. So that that's a big feather in my hat. That that's a big box for me to check off. Are those uh, are those airworthy planes? Like, if if you wanted to take them out, uh, could you actually fly them? I I I flew the Blario a couple feet in the air. The owner flew it a couple feet in the air. You know, they would fly. And uh, and the Camel, we we didn't fly because that thing is just un- unreal value. But it had the correct motor. I did everything right. You know, the engine ran, but we wouldn't fly the plane. That's and the camel that that's the that has a rotary engine in it, doesn't it? Yes, uh huh. And it had the correct one, you know, the the correct Clerget, you know, and all that. Wow, how much how much would a plane, if you don't mind me asking, how much would a plane like that actually cost? If you wanted to buy that airplane, or one like it? Oh, oh, it, it, well, it, it, well, there's only six of them, and only one with with undisputed paper, and which is the one we had. Wow. And that's probably a five million dollar airplane. Wow. I, I heard but, um, Mike Melville back maybe five or eight years ago was flying uh, antique World War One airplanes. That's ours, yeah. That, that, that's the same facility? Uh-huh. Oh, man, that'd be fun to go there <laughs> to see it. Yeah, but, you know, the owner's passed, and now the widow, she don't know what she's going to do. You know, nobody can go out there. Yeah. So oh, said, that's a shame. So you said you're building yeah. your own plane. What uh, What's your own plane? A... 36 Waco Custom Cabin. It's a cabin Waco with a little bottom wing. <laughs> Beautiful. In 36, there was two airplanes that were really special, the Stagger Wing and the Custom Cabin Waco. Wow. It sounds like you're living the life now. Well, you know, I, I'm I'm 79 years old, or will be here in a month or so. Yeah. And uh, I've got to do an awful lot of stuff. I, I've been blessed with... with a lot of people that supported me and helped me, and you know, I've got to just just do a lot of things and having a great time. That's the way, man. I, I'm striving to live a life like it sounds like you're living now. What to, well, what, what did you do for work over the years as a day job? Uh, I was a carpenter until sixty nine, seventy, something like that. When I got my Stevens Acro going, and then I. We had a slack time, and I thought, well, I can work on this guy's airplane. I can work on that airplane, and never went back to being a carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that sounds like the perfect job. Yeah, well, you know, there, there's a lot of people that's got big fat bank accounts, but you know what? I'm having a great time. Jeez. 
Did you have any uh, formal education in any of this avionics stuff, or is it all just kind of self-taught? Uh, you know, I, I grew up a wood guy, right? A carpenter, you know, yeah. Finnish type carpenter. And so when I built my, my laser, my Stevens Acro, nobody wanted to mess with them. You build a pit, they're easy. I can build that wood wing. That's not a problem. So we whipped that wing out, you know. And, oh, yeah. and I had one of the I had one of the great airplanes, you know. Yeah, one of the first monoplanes. The '68 Leo Loudenslager and I, you know, we were the first two. And everybody else is probably flying S ones. Yeah. <laughs> well, did you ever compete and, in it, like at uh, at nationals or anything? Uh, not at, uh, well. I, I flew. Uh, I flew, uh, let's see, advanced, no, sport, uh, intermediate at Fond du Lac in 77, I think. Oh, yeah. But I, I flew a lot of a lot of regional contests, you know, and, you know, got advanced and all that stuff. Because in that airplane, I, I didn't have to practice. I'd go out the day before, do a few pushes, you know, get used to outside, then, then go to the contest. Yeah. <laughs> but I also flew aerobatics most, most of the week in the, in the decathlon or the pits or something like that. But, you know, instruction, which is all pretty soft stuff. Right. Did you ever get to fly in Oshkosh? No, I, I, I took it to Oshkosh. I've taken a lot of airplanes to Oshkosh, but yeah, yeah. I, I think Art spent a whole bunch of time flying out at Oshkosh. Oh, he did. Yeah. Well, you know, because see, Pennzoil sponsored all that. See, Oshkosh, you, you, Oshkosh doesn't help you one nickel. Right. Yeah, that's all volunteer flying, I believe. Right. Yeah. Still is today. Oh, you're right, and it costs you a ton of money to go there. You know, when you're on the West Coast. Yeah, that's a long ferry, especially in an S one or something. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fuel days. stops. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, good luck with your plane. Thank you. And uh, fly, fly safe. And uh, you know, you want to be around to do it again tomorrow. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, Reno twenty twenty one goes. Um, if it does, we'd love to have you out. You know, I haven't been up there in a long time, and and I'm really good friends with. A bunch of the unlimited guys. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know. Matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, Dennis Sanders was down. You know. Yeah. And uh, what last month I, you know, was talking to Steve Hinton. Yeah, down there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'd we'd love to show you around the F1 area if you ever come out this year. Maybe we'll uh, touch base with you. I'll give you a call uh, maybe in the summertime. Yeah. Uh, what I normally do, I used to do for a bunch of years after. I would go up there Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday and come home. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I know. It'd, you know, it'd be great to have you out again. Yeah. You know, I, I I haven't been up in a long time, like I say. You know, I, I'm I'm good friends with all the guys in the unlimited class. Yeah. You know, I only flew uh, biplane once. Some Somebody, I can't remember what it was, they didn't feel good, and, and they went to the honcho biplane guys and says, hey, can Chuck go fly my plane in the race? Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so I was a biplane racer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've never flown biplane. Just F one so far. I'd love to fly unlimited too. I don't have the pockets for it. Oh yeah, well that's that, that's it. You know, I like like I say, you know, I I, I flew dreadnought a couple times. And, yeah, and you know, I got three hundred dollars in our Corsair. So, so what, what classes did you all fly in? So obviously you've flown and you said biplane. You've flown a Formula One. Did you actually? Well, fly the Formula. Did you fly? It's the Formula One. Yeah. Okay. Dreadnought, Dreadnought was a bunch of test flights. Oh, you know, okay. not up there. Okay. I'd love to fly that Corsair too. Yeah, it's gone. It's a, 
right now, if they're on Breckenridge, Texas, they're getting a total overhaul. You know, I flew it for 20-something years, and and this poor wine guy up in Northern California, he, he thought he needed it, so. Yeah. Yeah, was that Sherm? Smoot? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a good buddy. <laughs> That's the only he's, wine he's, buddy or wine guy I know in Northern California that that races or flies. Well, he's he's central. He's here's where I'm at. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 you know 15 miles from me. His his little vineyard is, but he buys all his juice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, and, and it's good wine. I, I you know I, I don't drink, but you know every once in a while at dinner somebody will give me one. Yeah. But now this is a, a Corbell Champagne. Yeah. Well, he he's the one that bought the Corsair for his pilot to play with. Okay. Yeah, one day maybe. I think I need to start it in a T6. It took me five years to get the Corsair put together from bits and pieces. Oh, I bet. That's a lot of work. So. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I hope this works out for you. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm looking forward to sharing uh, everything that we've talked about with the rest of the class if they want to listen. And yeah, hopefully, yeah. Uh, if, if some of your lessons get across or your advice yeah, well, gets it, across, it, it, it's worth it. Yeah, you know, the, the currency is a big thing. You know, and, and it 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 happens everywhere. It in all, all 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 walks of life. You know, yeah. You just can't you know go jump in there and do something. I mean, you can do it, but you can't do it like you should be. Yeah. 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 Well, thank okay. you very much. I appreciate you your time. Okay. Ho- hopefully I Talk- see you in September next year. Okay, right. Talk to you later. Right. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.